1: Welcome back once again to the Outcomes Rocket Podcast, where we chat with today's most successful and inspiring healthcare leaders. I invite you to go to outcomesrocket.health slash reviews, where you could rate and review our guest because he is an unbelievable and amazing contributor in healthcare. His name is Uwe Diegel. He's the official manufacturer of happiness. That's right. Happiness working on secret diabetes project, keynote speaker the CEO of Life in A, and a venture capitalist. Located in Paris, France, this gentleman is doing a lot to improve what, the way that smartphone applications are used in health and beyond. And so what I want to do is open up the microphone to this wonderful man and have him round out the introduction. Uwe, welcome to the podcast.
0: Hey, thank you very much. I'm so happy to see you. It's a wonderful introduction. I didn't expect so much from you, but it's really, really great. <laughs> And it's, and it's quite strange, because I've been calling myself, or people have been calling me the, an official manufacturer of happiness, because for the last 30 years, I've been making medical devices, designing medical, well, mostly, actually, sickness devices. I was hmm. selling hypertension, diabetes, multiple sclerosis. And then a few years back, we had the bright idea of connecting our devices to the smartphone, and suddenly, we became cool, because suddenly, we were no longer selling sickness, we were selling health. And that was an amazing shift in the business because suddenly we realized that health touches 100% of the people, where sickness only touches sick people. So it put an entire new spin on the business, and it really, working with Apple has also taught me to really sell the concept as much of the product, what I call the wow factor, that people get a product and they think, I'm so happy to have the product. What kind of phone do you have, if I may ask you?
1: I've got an iPhone.
0: Oh, my God, what a big surprise. <laughs> and what did you have before that? An iPhone as well?
1: <laughs> yeah, pretty much. For and the last.
0: I mean, I know that systematically I buy the new iPhone as it comes out, but not because I have to have it, but because I want it. And yes. if you want something because you have the wow factor, it becomes much more attractive. And if you sell medical devices that are in for sick people, the only people who buy them are sick people who buy it because they have to buy it. Was if you set it for health, that people buy it because they want to buy it. And it puts an entire new shift on how you're going to sell the products.
1: That's a very interesting take on it, Uwe, and one that that our digital health friends perhaps are digesting and and have been working on. And you sort of have a really unique perspective where you came from the devices world and then took a shift and, and focused mainly on digital. So can you give us an example of what you believe a hot topic that should be on medical leaders' agendas today?
0: Absolutely. I think that there's a slight misconception today in terms of connection. You know, everybody now is setting the digital world and connection as if it was the new nirvana for business, whereas I've never really considered the connection to be an invention. I was making devices, connection arrived, I added the connection to make my devices better as an extra service. And To open up a new field. But today, especially in the world of VC, it's very, very important because everybody is in fact, now everybody's scared of hardware. Everybody is scared of investing in companies that are making devices for the wrong reasons, because everybody wants to invest in the next Facebook or the next Google. But what they really should be looking for is investing in the next Apple, because there's a certain intrinsic value to having material that is beautifully built, and then using that material as a platform for digital services. I think the big message that we must pass on is that there's nothing shameful about making material. Hmm. But now it's becoming more and more difficult. Well, for one particular reason is that, I'm sorry, I don't mean to sound offensive now, because uh, I've been making medically graded devices for the last 30 years that are all based on clinical culture and clinical validations. And in many ways, the shift, the barrier to entry has become too low. What I mean is that today, any moron with a good idea goes and sticks it on Kickstarter and the Indiegogo. Sorry, I don't mean any offense. <laughs>
1: Speak your mind, brother.
0: <laughs> it's that every two days you have a new magic product that comes out that promises incredible things. And, but in reality, it has kind of gadgetized the industry because we know that 80% of these products are not going to be real products. And they are just gadgets, and, which means that we're basically drowning the real technology in perception of technology. And this is kind of gadgetized the industries in the eyes of the doctor. The doctor doesn't actually think of connected health. He thinks of connected gadgets in mm-hmm. his unconscious. When you talk about connected health to a doctor, he's, he's thinking of that electric fork that's going to give you an electric shock if you eat too fast. That's validated by the Mastication Institute of Barcelona or some, you know, all these wonderful things that are basically just gadgets. But I've, I've made a lot of products in my life that were all based on true need, I mean, on diseases that we're trying to find a solution for. But often, in fact, the best businesses are driven by personal needs, the best business ideas. And at the moment, I'm the CEO of a new company called Life Inner. And I promise you that this isn't absolutely accidental company it is purely an accident because
1: tell us a ha- little bit more about it what is the focus there what are you guys up to
0: what happened is i was i was running a massive big international company called ihealth that was making connected healthcare devices and then a couple of years ago i had a visit from uh, uh, my brother in new zealand he came to visit me in paris and uh, he doesn't speak a word of french and contrary to what you might believe, not all innkeepers speak English in France. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, my brother is a type 1 insulin diabetic. And he went to the south of France to visit some chateaux because he was a tourist. And when he arrived in his hotel, there was no fridge in his room to put his incident. I don't know if you know that basically people with diabetes hate to travel because the incident has to be kept in the fridge at all times. They're basically prisoners of the medication. Yeah. But my brother is a habitual traveler, so no biggie. He just went down to reception, and he asked the person behind the counter to put his insulin in the fridge of the kitchen. Except that when he came down at 11 o'clock at night to get his incident, somebody had stuck it in the freezer.
1: Oh, no. Which
0: made it impossible to use. And ah. the thing with the incident is not like, oh, I'll take a little bit more tomorrow. If you don't have it, you die. Yes. It's a black and white situation. But luckily, we were in France, and in France, there's always some kind of a fantastic medical system so they called the police and they opened the night pharmacy. Twenty minutes later, he had some fresh incident, and the problem was resolved. Wow! And he came back to Paris and he told me about the moron who fr- he was really angry. Who <laughs> 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 <He'd> frozen his <laughs> incident? <laughs> he yeah. did not use the word moron. <laughs> uh, I'm sure. I'm, I'm being sure. polite. <laughs> and then, literally, just for fun, while we were drinking a bottle of wine and having dinner, we drew on a piece of paper the idea. Of a little portable fridge the size of a Motorola, those original little phones. Yeah. uh, a brick. And on paper it worked. So literally, just for fun, I made a prototype, but really with all the crap I had lying in my office, I stole the battery from my Sony video cam to make the prototype. It was just a handmade product that I made just for him to use. And it worked quite well. The battery lasted for five, six hours. And for me, it wasn't a commercial product. It was just purely a utilitarian thing that I made. We would toss it off during the weekend, you know. And I yeah. had other stuff to worry about. I was running a huge, big, multi-million dollar company. That's right. But every time my brother, I saw my brother, he would tell me that everybody would ooh and ah over this incredible little fridge. So because he
1: was doing... using it, right? He was using yeah, the he little was fridge. Using it and yeah. he found it very useful.
0: And then I started doing some research and I found that this incredible, terrible thing is that basically 5% of the population is using medication that has to be kept in the fridge at all times. Talk about multiple sclerosis, arthritis, cancer, vaccines, diabetes, and these people are basically prisoners of their medication. But the biggest hidden side effect of this is that everybody's ashamed of their chronic diseases. I mean, a chronic disease is basically a disease that you will have for the rest of your life. There is no cure for a chronic disease. So by definition, if you have a chronic disease, you are defined by your lifestyle. Anything that makes you have a quote-unquote normal life becomes essential for somebody who suffers from multiple sclerosis. And the result of this is that people who suffer from multiple sclerosis, they do not take their medication to work because you don't want to take your medication and put it next to the sandwiches in the, in the fridge in the kitchen
1: right, for everybody
0: right. to know that you're sick. There's no respect for privacy. So the result is that they leave the medication at home, which means that they take their dosage late, which means that they suffer for what is called the yo-yo effect in health management, because every day they take the medication at different times. And non-adherence or non-compliance to medication schedules it costs a whopping $350 billion in the US. A lot of money. It's 10% of the healthcare budget that is just pissed away on, on non compliance. It's about 10 in France, you know, which is obviously a much smaller country. And non compliance is the holy grail for any Medicare system, health insurance system, anybody who's trying to actually be involved in institutional healthcare. So on the one hand, we had the problem of people not being able to travel with their medication. The other one, was that they actually couldn't uh, manage their medication on time. So we got together. And we yeah, Sorry, I have to do the glory shot. Here. Oh, there
1: it is. All right. So
0: I made this Very little nice. t- little fridge that you can carry. And inside, this is what I call the big model. You can put enough medication inside for one month worth of medication. All right?
1: Wow. Oh, so that's the big life. model.
0: That's the big model. So got that's it. life in a box. Then, I've got, of course, I've already developed Life in a Tube, which is a single pen, literally a fridge that you can put in the pocket of your jacket. And that's for when you go out at night. And the idea being that not only can people now travel with the medication, take it to work with them. You can, of course, lock it at a distance with a smartphone mm-hmm. or with a remote control so you can keep it private. But it's also connected to an app. And I know it sounds stupid to connect the fridge to an app. I mean, who just. Who you want to
1: know app? if it's cold or if it's not as cold, right? Yes, of course, but that's so basic. I mean. It's, <laughs> you got something more advanced for me, UV? Yeah. Well, <laughs> of course. Well, no, it's yes.
0: <laughs> Sorry, I love my job.
1: <laughs> I can tell, my friend. I can tell.
0: No, no, honestly, I wake up in the morning and I can't wait to get to work because now every day we're discovering new things and new usages. But no, the use of the connection. Yes, the connection will of course monitor in real time the temperature of the medication and the duration of the battery, which today, incidentally, is up to thirty-six hours of battery life. But it will also send you reminders: "Hey Saul, last time you took your medication was at three o'clock. Is it not time for you to take your medication? Because especially now you've got it with you in your pocket. Oh, in okay. The so to actually improve the adherence to treatment, to make people use their medication better, and this is really been a huge thing for us. Now I'm actually, honestly, I'm even thinking of doing illegal stuff with the application, which is really <laughs> cool. The problem is now that I've had the idea, I basically have to do it, even if I know that it's illegal. What I want to do is I want to actually link up the app to a geo geolocalization system on the fridge so that when, imagine you're a mother that's using... Let's say adrenaline for, anaphy- oh, I can never say that word, anaphylactic shock or, you know, when you yes. get stung by bees or mm-hmm. eat, coconut, uh, eat peanuts or something. Yep.
1: Allergic imagine in a park,
0: And the problem is when you have that shock, that allergy shock, you never have your medication with you. It's always in the fridge. We've all seen Pulp Fiction. We know how it's used, you know. So imagine is, if on the app you could just say, oh, well, look, there's a guy who's got, a, he's got the medicine." <laughs> He's just about 50 meters away and we go ask him for the medication, which is of course completely illegal because you're not allowed to share prescription medication. But even if it's illegal, imagine you can save the life of a child. Right. So, you know, one way or another. So there's all kinds of ramifications. And as I said, you know, I wake up in the morning and I can't wait to get to work. Now I'm, I'm about to embark in the manufacturing program of this Life in a Box. And literally at the beginning of the year, I redesigned the product because of Donald Trump. You know, I'm not joking. No, because now in the U.S., I just went to Vegas last, uh, for CES. Oh, yes. And I got searched twice, on the way in and on the way out. Wow. Because I had suitcases filled with electronic samples. And, so you know, when you arrive at the airport and you hear that ominous slapping of the rubber gloves for that, <laughs> yep. that full-body cavity mm-hmm. search. You know, <laughs> so I arrived there. And because since Donald Trump has become president, there's this obsession with the terrorism. And mm-hmm. at the beginning of the year, I heard that you were going to, in the U.S., they might actually eventually ban laptops for on airplanes because of the lithium batteries. on the, Wow,
1: I, I haven't heard of that one, but that's interesting. It wouldn't surprise me if it came up in the discussions, though.
0: Oh, uh, They certainly were discussing at the beginning of the year. It was a hot topic. Uh, and I figured at the, when I did my first design for Life in a Box, the batteries were integrated inside the product. So when I heard about this, I actually took the batteries out and made them as a clip-on battery pack, so you can actually carry the batteries separate, which is a lot easier for customs purposes. And at the same time, I redesigned the entire product, so it's basically assembled like a Lego system. You go clack 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 clack, and you just assemble the pieces. Yeah. And I'm having the entire thing assembled by handicapped people in France, which is totally cool. I I love it. No, I uh, think that's it. Costs three four dollars more to do it that way but we give jobs to people who need it a lot more than you and me. And we do it because we can. People don't really mind. I mean, if you know why you're spending a little bit more money and you know that you're doing good at some, I know that there will be some people who will say it's just for marketing. And so what? We're still giving jobs to people who need it more than you and me. You know, and that's about the part. So I've really put all the dots on all the eyes to make this absolutely beautiful, perfect company with beautiful packaging and beautiful ethos and social responsibility. So I'm very, very proud of what we're doing at Up.
1: You know and- what, that's so cool. And I appreciate you sharing that process. You know, we recently had a couple guests actually, one Dana Lewis, who is the head of the APS movement, right? The open APS, the yeah. artificial pancreas, and just the stories that she shared as a diabetic and the difficulty, you know, like your brother, the things that your brother went through This type of solution is just such a wonderful solution, and you've been so thoughtful from the why you're manufacturing all the way through the how you're manufacturing and who's manufacturing it, that you definitely know how to dot the I's. Your attention to detail is just always awesome. Well, the thing is,
0: I think that the best products also, when they're designed by people who need them for people who need them, people who really understand the problem, not just people who are thinking, oh, here's a problem and how can I make money from this problem? But really making products, of course, I need to make money. That's not a question. I need to run successful companies. I need to make big companies, not because I need the money, not because I want to buy a new car, but I need the money to continue doing R&D and continue developing better, newer, better and solutions. And the patients understand this. In fact, you know, at the moment we have this huge big brouhaha worldwide about data safety and sharing data, and everybody's shaking the ghosts of data safety. But in reality, the only people who are concerned about data safety are people who are not concerned. Myself, I have never once met a patient that was not prepared to share his data if he knew why he was sharing his data. But we kind of had this problem in the digital health industry where we ask you, if I ask you, listen, are you scared that I'm going to take your data and sell it to the insurance company to make you pay more money? Basically, you're going to say yes. Of course. But if I ask you, would you accept to share your anonymous blood pressure data with the Heart Foundation to do epidemiological research? Of course. Then you should. Of course. But I mean, it's a question of, we ask questions that ask for a negative answer. Right. But in reality, I know you know that if you ask a person what... If they can use the data to make a better world, to make, re- it's not, they're not necessarily looking for financial reward or monetary, or if you can just give them a better relationship, a better understanding, everybody's happy to share their data. And I believe that once everything is connected, it's going to make, we're going to be able to tell the difference between what is important data and not important data. That's why today I'm still struggling with this ethos question, this ethical question of whether I can use the GPS data to allow people to see who else has got medication. At the the moment, I'll have to ask people to share Mm -hmm. the information willingly. But I'm pretty convinced that you ask anybody who's got a medication and there's a sick child, and I'm pretty sure that they would be happy to give the medication to the sick child. I know I would.
1: Yeah, no, I absolutely would too. And yeah, definitely have the moral and and the rule-based systems that you have to work with and, and figure out in the process. But yeah, I think you're right. The way you phrase the question will definitely determine the answer that you get. And if it's negatively phrased, you're going to get a negative answer. Absolutely. Uve, you're doing so many good things. I wish we had more time to go through more of, of the things that you're up to. But uh, what I would like to do is is maybe open up discussion before we head into your closing comments on what else you're working on, potentially a secret diabetes project that you may want to share. <laughs>
0: Everybody knows in the industry that I've been working for quite a long time on finding a solution for non-invasive diabetes. uh, I've done a lot of work because I've worked for three really, really big companies in the past. And I resigned from my post as CEO last year to be able to focus on doing real research. And the thing is, look, I do not suffer from the Dr. Schweitzer complex. I'm not here to dig wells in Africa or anything like this. But at the same time, I want to turn around in five years and say, "Look what I did!" You know, do something that's important. And I felt that in my last post, I was becoming more of a plastic salesman, and we were selling devices rather than selling solutions. So last year, basically, I did my 50-year crisis. So last year, I resigned from my position. I climbed the Kilimanjaro. I bought Harley Davidson t-shirts and did my 50-year thing. You know? <laughs> <laughs> and then I nice. 100% doing just pure fundamental research. Now, technically, I know how to do it, but I must still develop the technology to be able to make the technology. But we're nearly there. In, in a, ten years ago, if you talked about non-invasive diabetes, I don't know if you know what I mean by non-invasive diabetes. Basically, today, if you to measure diabetes, you need to prick the finger. You gotta
1: prick your finger. Take, yeah. blood,
0: take a drop yeah. of blood. And if you have to do that three to eight times a day for people with diabetes, is not very pleasant.
1: Gets old, yeah. yeah.
0: So I'm trying to find a way to do it completely non-invasively, that there will be no no prick of blood whatsoever. So we are there, but even if I know how to do it, I'm still got at least another year, year and a half of regulatory work just to actually get it passed. But it's a fascinating project. I'm also developing other technologies. There's a now now that I've uh, for life in you know, I've developed this wonderful technology that allows me to produce cold ad nauseum with low energy consumption. So now I'm looking at different declinations of how Mm. I can use this technology. And the next project after, of course, the evolution product is going to be a product that I call life in a heart, which is going to be for organ transport. Mm. You know, every year in the U.S., they've got between 1,200 to 1,300 people. It's horrible what I'm going to tell you now. But there's 1,300 people who die every year in the U.S. because when they get an organ, when the, the organ arrives, the organ is off because it's been badly, badly transported. That's for me crazy. I mean, imagine mm-hmm. the cost, not just the physical, the money cost. just the,
1: That's crazy. Uh, I didn't know that number was so high.
0: And the social cost for somebody who was going to have a kidney transplant, but he doesn't have a kidney because the kidney is rotten or it's off or it was put in direct contact with ice. So there's all, I'm doing all, I've got a couple of other small projects, but two main projects that I have now are the non-invasive diabetes, which for me, a social challenge as much as anything else, because diabetes has truly become the epidemic of the century. It's, uh, you know, today there's about 150 million people with diabetes, we'll have 400 million in 15 years. You know, it's crazy. Yeah, it is crazy. It is the biggest expense for any medical aid worldwide.
1: Wow. Well, there's no doubt, Uve, that you're doing some pretty amazing things. You're having a ton of fun while you do them. I'm inspired whenever we talk, and so I just really want to thank you for taking the time to being with us today. If you can, just leave the listeners with a closing thought, and then the best place where they could get in touch with you or follow you.
0: The the most important still thing is always comes back to the same: is that you have to wake up in the morning and look forward to going to work. 99% of the people I speak to hate their job, their car, their apartment, their wife, their dog, or whatever it is,
1: in a <laughs> world
0: where nobody's going to die of hunger. None of you, we, you not, we're not going to die of hunger. The system doesn't allow us to. So if you don't like your job, go do something else. But what you need is the passion, not just the intelligence. You need the illumination, that thing that you just want to do something. That, for me, is the biggest driver for innovation. And to contact me, I'm actually quite easy to find. I think I'm the only Uwe Deagle in the whole world. It's quite an arcane name. One of a, so, a kind. <laughs> so you can <laughs> find me on uwe.diggel at mac dot com, or you can find me quite easily on LinkedIn.
1: Fantastic. Now, listeners, for all the show notes and links for the things that we discussed like Uwe's company, Life in a, or all the other things that we discussed here, go to outcomesrocket.health slash Uwe. That's U W E. And you'll be able to find his uh, link to his LinkedIn file, as well as the contacts that he mentioned here. So Uwe, I really want to just thank you for taking the time to be with us. Really had fun today.
0: You have to come and visit me in Paris. It's an amazing place. My home is your home, and I have a fine collection of red wine for you to taste.
1: I am there tomorrow, my friend. (laughs) Okay, cool. I can't wait. You have a wonderful evening, huh? You do, sir. Cheers, man. Bye-bye.
0: Thanks for listening to the Outcomes Rocket podcast. Be sure to visit us on the web at www.outcomesrocket.com for the show notes, resources, inspiration, and so much more.